following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Romans 14. Romans 14. And our text today is verses 13 through 18. So... Let's begin reading there. It says in Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge, uh, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Well, we've been in Romans for a long time. It's been almost two years now. And so I know that some of those early sermons are not very fresh in your mind because they're not fresh in my mind either. So this week, I I really enjoyed going back during my uh, private devotional time and rereading through those early chapters of Romans and especially just remembering again all that they say about the gospel. So Romans chapter 1 reminds us that I was once under the wrath of God. And there was nothing I could do to to fix my sin problem myself. So chapter 3 reminds me that God sent Jesus. And Jesus died in my place. He took God's wrath against my sin. And so I was so encouraged this week to remember again what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Why don't you turn back there? It's good for us to put our eyes on some of these verses again. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. How can you be made right with God? He says in Romans 4, verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now those are glorious verses. Because if you are are guilty before God, we're all guilty before God, we all stand under the wrath of God, and there is nothing you can do to solve that yourself. You cannot earn enough wages to make yourself right with God. So what did God do? He sent Jesus. And Jesus died for us on the cross. And now he says in verse 5 that God justifies the ungodly. We don't do anything to earn it. We just receive it by faith. So maybe someone came today and, and you came in with a guilty conscience. Maybe you've spent your whole life trying to earn a relationship with Jesus. But no matter how hard you try, you always fall short. Well, God says to you, we all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. So God came to us. And you can be saved today 
if you just put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. God will justify you. He will declare you righteous even while you are still an ungodly sinner. That's an incredible miracle. So, So if you've never done that, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that today you will just admit your sin and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. But I primarily um, want to remind you of these gospel truths because while those early chapters in Romans might not be super fresh in your memory, they were very fresh in Paul's memory when he got to Romans chapter 14. And and think about the Roman church. The the very first time that, that this book was read to the Roman congregation, it had only been a few minutes Only a few minutes had elapsed between the time that they heard Romans 14 and when they heard Romans 1 through 4. And it had been even less time since they heard what Paul said in Romans 6. So turn over there, Romans 6, and notice again what he says in verses 12 through 14. Paul says, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So think about the fact that that when we get to Romans chapter 14, Verse 14 of chapter 6 is still ringing in their ears. And I want it to ring in your ears too as we come to this chapter. Because Romans chapter 14 is calling us to a radical way of living together. And so today's challenge is to love your brother more than your rights. Now that seems reasonable. It sounds simple. It's very rational. But most people can't bring themselves to truly love their brother more than they do their own rights. We are a selfish, arrogant people. So so when people disagree, they they either pound each other into the ground, or we just kind of put up our distance and walk away. But, But we can, because we are not under grace, but under law. Sin will not be our master. And so by the grace of God, we can love each other sacrificially. We can support each other in the Christian life. And we can endure every challenge and and stay together and be united in Christ and press forward. So, remember the gospel. Remember all that precedes where we are in Romans 1 through 13, because this book is a unit. And and so today, as I challenge you to love your brother more than your rights, remember that we do that in the strength and in the power of Jesus. So, So that said, let's jump into the text. And I'd like to begin, actually, in verse 14 of the text, where Paul lays out the conflict that really drives this whole section. So, So verse 14 says again, um, i got to get to chapter 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, 
to him it is unclean. So, so remember from, from the last couple of weeks that the Roman church was divided over the ongoing significance of the Old Testament law to their lives as Christians. So you've got two sides, which Paul calls the strong and the weak. So, so the strong, on the one hand, they understood rightly, as Paul says here, that Christ has freed us from the Old Testament law. And so we don't need to obey it anymore. But the weak, on the other hand, they are not so sure. Now, these people, they believe that they are saved by grace alone. They understand the gospel. But their consciences, consciences are still bound by Old Testament food laws, purity laws, and as well by Old Testament holy days. Now, that might seem like a small thing. But both sides are passionate about their convictions. And we all know what happens when, when two convictions that are very strong bang into each other. It oftentimes spirals into judgmentalism, impatience, and serious conflict. So what was the church to do? Well, well verse 14 here acknowledges that this is a complex situation. So on the one hand, God is very clear here that we are free from the law. We do not need to obey it. So Paul clearly sides with the strong. And he says in, verse four, in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 1, he calls himself one of the strong. So Christ has freed us from all obligation to the Old Testament law. As he says there in verse 14, nothing is unclean. Christians are not bound by purity laws. We are not bound by Old Testament holy days. Now I do want to emphasize though that specifically when he says there that nothing is unclean, he is specifically talking about Old Testament food laws. So I should say that because I've heard people take that statement in verse 14 as sort of a blanket statement about all sorts of issues. Well, Paul says nothing is unclean. So that means that I can watch any movie I want, I can listen to any music, I can wear any sort of fashion style, I can pretty much do whatever I want because God says nothing is unclean. It's all good. But folks, when people do that, that is a terrible violation of the context here. That's clearly not what he's trying to say. And as well, the many ethical exhortations of the New Testament are very clear that just because we're not under the Old Testament law does not mean that God no longer cares about holiness. This verse is not intended to just open the floodgates to, to let you do basically whatever you want to do. So, so don't use this verse to say something that God never intended. So, so that said, though, we are free from the Old Testament law. God is very clear. But, he adds, you are not free from your conscience. Again, he says there, to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, on the heels of, of verse 14a, that is an incredible statement. And Paul really believed it. He says it again in verse 20. He says, uh, in the second part of the verse, all things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So, so I, I plan to say a whole lot more about the conscience next week. Because conscience is a really significant issue. But, but for now, just notice that, that just because somebody or you know something intellectually in your head does not mean 
that you existentially feel it or believe it in your heart. You know, if the conscience were just a matter of the intellect, if I could just tell you this is okay and you got it up here, then the debate would be settled, right? Paul could just say nothing is unclean. So Jews, get over it. Eat the pork. But that's not what he does. It's, it's this, I mean, and so I have to imagine even here that, that I mean, you think about the, the, the weak in the church there. They probably agreed with what Paul said there. They understood intellectually that they were allowed to eat these things. And yet, some of these Jews, probably they had spent decades of their lives following these Old Testament laws. And they just couldn't put them aside. But those boundaries were deeply embedded in their habits and in their hearts. And I bet you understand. I bet uh, that, that there is something that you have done since you were a child. That you don't necessarily have any like intellectual reason why you would say it's wrong. But you can still hear your mom's voice. And so... You make your bed a very specific way. Or you sit at the dinner table a certain way. Or or you say this or you don't say that because it's just a part of who you are and and you can't in good conscience do it. And and so what do you do? What do you do at that point? Do you just ignore your conscience? Well, no. Because what Paul says here in verse 14 is that your freedom in Christ is not freedom to violate your conscience. And even if the Bible clearly gives you freedom, you are not free to violate your conscience. You must obey it. Now, I'm going to say a whole lot more about that next week because that's, that's a massive topic. We want to talk about educating your conscience and all those various things. But for now, just notice that that fact really complicates relationships at Rome. So last two weeks, I've talked to you about are two guys. We've got, we've got Joe Gentile and Johnny Jew. All right? So, so Joe Gentile, he is right. He was free to eat a sausage pizza with extra cheese. Absolutely right before God, because there's no more purity laws in the New Testament. But Johnny Jew, he would be sinning if he were to eat that sausage pizza, because he would violate his conscience. So, you know, what do Joe Gentile and Johnny Jew do at the church potluck? That's appropriate. We're having a church potluck today. What do they do? You know, should, should, should Joe Gentile just say, well, well, skip Johnny Jew. He's ignorant. And, and, and he's going to just stomp all over Johnny Jew's conscience and do whatever he wants. You know, or... You know, if, if Joe Gentile shows up with his pizza, should Johnny Jew sit across from him, stare him down with his beady eyes, and just through his eyes convict him of his ungodliness and lust the whole time that he eats? What do these guys do? Well, well notice the command that God gives in verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So so Paul here gives two commands. And the first command, not to judge one another, really just sums up and and finishes up the section of verses 5 through 12. So uh, remember from last week that that in verses 5 through 12, 
Paul really challenged both men, but, but he especially challenged Johnny Jew not to judge Joe Gentile for his lower standard. Right, because that's easy to do, right? When you've got the higher standard, it's easy to look down on the guy with the lower standard and assume that everything he does, he does from ungodliness. You know, Joe Gentile, the only reason he eats that sausage pizza is because his heart is full of lust. And he doesn't love Jesus like I do. And so Joe Gentile has to be very, and, and so J, Johnny Jew has to be very careful that he doesn't harshly assume that, that Joe Gentile's action comes from ungodliness. No, rather, he is to assume, as, as verse 6 said, that he is eating that sausage pizza to the Lord. Amen, right? To the Lord. And he is giving thanks for it. So, so we said last week that, that, that not judging requires that you trust your brother or sister in Christ. That even if you disagree, he is genuinely striving to please the Lord. Love assumes the best. But the second command, it turns and it takes aim at, at Johnny Jew, or Joe Gentile, excuse me. And, and so Paul, and, and really, and, and Joe Gentile is going to remain the primary target all the way through our passage today. Again, he says in the second part of verse 13, determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, determine there is a good translation, but I think it's worth noting that there's actually a play on words here in verse 13 because both commands come from the same Greek verb, krino. So first of all, he says to, to Johnny Jew, don't judge your brother. Instead, he turns around and says to Joe Gentile, instead, judge yourself. Don't judge your brother Instead, judge yourself. Worry about yourself. Worry about what you're doing more than you're worrying about what anyone else is doing. And specifically, judge yourself that you will not put an obstacle in the way of your brother or sister in Christ. Now that command is, is really important to Romans chapters 14 and 15. But, but it's a really easy command. When he says there, don't put an obstacle in the way, it's an easy command to misunderstood. And it is one that has been misapplied many, many times. So, so the first question we need to answer uh, today is this. What exactly does it mean to stumble? Because if you don't know what it means to stumble, then you're not going to know how to help someone not stumble. Now, when he talks about stumbling here, he uses two illustrative terms there in verse 13. The first one is, uh, he, it's translated there as obstacle. It's the word proskuma. And, and it refers to anything that would make someone trip. It's a stumbling block. You know, so for example, the other night I got up in the dark and for some reason our dog decided to fall asleep in the middle of the doorway. And I stumbled over the dog and I scared the dog and I scared myself to death. It's a stumbling block. So, so he pictures here, the idea of stumbling is just simply that you would put something in someone's way that would make them trip. The second term that he uses there uh, describes uh, is, is the word scandalon, and, and it describes something that is a trap originally. Maybe a trap for a bird or a trap for a rabbit. And, and the New Testament uses both of these terms. You know, something that causes you to stumble or something that traps you 
it consistently uses those to describe some form of a spiritual fall. So verse 13 is forbidding the strong from, from exercising their genuine liberty in Christ irresponsibly. And by their irresponsible practice, they would do spiritual damage to a brother or sister in Christ. So yes, Joe Gentile is absolutely free to eat his sausage pizza. But he needs to be very careful that he would not enjoy his freedom in a way that would make Johnny Jew stumble. But the question is, well, then what exactly does it mean to stumble? And how does he do that? Does it mean that, that if he wants to be really, really careful that, that Johnny Jew never stumbles, that he just never eats sausage pizza again? Is, is God saying that he should never bring a sausage pizza to the church potluck? Or, or is the issue here that if anything that Joe Gentile does ever bothers Johnny Jew, then that automatically means that he can't do it? Well, the rest of the chapter is clear. That, that when we think of stumbling here, we're, we're not just thinking of doing something that annoys someone, something that irritates, or, or even that no one can ever see you do anything with which they disagree. No. When we talk about stumbling, to stumble is to disobey your conscience and to begin down a path towards spiritual ruin, potentially resulting in eternal damnation. So folks, this is really important, right? This is really important for what we think about our life together as a church and what we expect from each other. So, so notice how else Paul describes this. We're not just talking about minor little differences and disagreements and irritations. Now, verse 15 warns. He says, he warns against doing something which would hurt your brother. And the idea there behind hurting your brother is not just that he feels sad. We're talking about deep spiritual grief. And then the second warning in verse 15 about the nature of the stumbling is very significant. He says, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now, every time that Paul uses that verb that's translated destroy in the New Testament, it always describes eternal destruction. So, so when we think here of making someone stumble, when we think of destroying your brother, we're not thinking here of just a little bit of an irritation. No, we're talking about you doing something as a Christian which would threaten the spiritual health of a brother or sister in Christ. And think about that. I mean, what a tragedy. If you would practice your liberty in a selfish way that would threaten the spiritual health of a brother or sister in Christ. It's horrible. Now, similarly, verse 20 says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Again, that sounds tragic. But, but here's the question. Well, how, how could Joe Gentile tear down the work of God with a pizza? And Paul answers that you could lead Johnny Jew to do something that is evil. What is evil about eating a sausage pizza? Well, it becomes evil if you act against your conscience. Because acting against your conscience is sin. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says that when you violate your conscience, 
your conscience becomes seared, or you could say calloused. So every time you sin, every time you sin against your conscience, it becomes easier to do it. And so the more times you sin against your conscience, the harder your conscience gets, and the easier it gets to sin. And so, and so every time you do that, you are spiraling downward and downward further into rebellion against God. And the bottom of that spiral is hell. So folks, that's a serious thing. So I want to say to you very clearly, don't violate your conscience. If you cannot do something in faith, as verse 23 says, then you should not do it. And, and Paul's primary concern is, is that you don't want to, to push a brother or sister in Christ to violate his or her conscience by exercising your spiritual freedom irresponsibly. And if you do that, you can put a dangerous spiritual stumbling block in the path of your brother. So, so getting really practical here, what is it then that you must avoid? Well, Paul's specific concern is that a Christian must never flaunt his freedom in a way that pushes a brother to violate his conscience. Now again, you might be fully convinced from Scripture that there is nothing wrong with a particular activity, but you still have to respect your brother or sister's convictions. So, for example... You have another family over for dinner at your house, and and after you get done eating dinner, you decide to watch a movie. Now, you know that this family that you're having over for dinner, they have a a more cautious standard than you do. But but you look at this one particular movie, and you see nothing wrong with it. And and frankly, you look at their standard, and you think it's kind of silly. It's dumb. It's making them miss out on a bunch of fun. But, But you don't want to ever push a brother to violate his conscience. And so rather than just turning on the thing that is going to tempt them to violate their conscience or put them in an awkward spot of asking you to shut it off, then you pick something that is safe for everyone. Or let's say a, a group of ladies is going to go out and go shopping together. And, and you would really, really like to see this one girlfriend lighten up in what she wears. Like you look at her and you think, man, sometimes you would look better in a potato sack than what you wear. And so you're going on this shopping trip and and you would just love to to pull her in to Calvin Klein or or Express or whatever store it is that you enjoy and and just get her to put on something a little more stylish and a little tighter. But you want to honor her conscience. And so rather than doing that, you just support her. You encourage her to do what she believes is right before God. Now, folks, that's simple, but it's not always easy. And it can be very uncomfortable to be around people with higher standards. And frankly, you you sit there and you worry. I mean, even if they don't say anything, even if they're full of grace and generosity, you know, when you're around people with higher standards, you just sit there and you kind of wonder sometimes, are they judging me? Are they looking down on me? What is their attitude towards me because I'm doing something that they, in their own conscience, can't do? And and so, that's hard. You know, sometimes you you just get tired of it. You you get tired of it, and and you want to do what you want to do, and so you nag, you jab, you push. But God says, never push someone to violate his or her conscience. 
It is your job to support and encourage people to do what they in good conscience believe is right before God. Now that raises a third very important question, which is what are the limits of that? Now this is important because people with a weak conscience, the Johnny Jews of the church, will sometimes use verse 13 as a weapon to control and manipulate everyone in the body of Christ. So, You've got the guy who, who, is, who is King James only, for example. And, and he believes that the King James is the only Bible. And, and so since I cannot in good conscience read anything but the King James Bible, then the church has to use the King James. Otherwise, they are pushing me to violate their conscience. And so the whole church becomes a slave of this person's conscience. You know, or you have the lady who believes that you should only wear a dress to church. And so, and so if anyone wears pants to church, well, they're tempting me to violate my conscience. And so everyone in the church who really loves the Lord and who really loves me will only wear a dress to church. So is that a proper application? Do the weak always get their way? Can they control everyone? Well, I do want to be very clear that chapter 15, verse 1 says that the strong bear the greater burden. I mean, Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. So, so, so the greater burden is on those with the stronger conscience. But Paul does not teach you know, that just because that, that no one can ever see you do something with which they disagree. He, he never teaches that, that, that just because something you do bothers someone or upsets them, that necessarily they get to control what goes on. In particular here, just being upset or disagreeing is not the same as being pressed to violate your conscience. Seeing someone do something that you think is wrong does not mean that they are pushing you to do it. You You may think, I could never in good conscience eat a sausage pizza. But that doesn't mean that just seeing someone do it means that they're pushing you to do the same. You know, so Paul never tells Joe Gentile he can't bring his pizza to the church potluck. Though I would say that love might drive Joe Gentile to make that choice on his own. But if he brings it, if he does bring the pizza, Joe Gentile has to be very careful not to push Johnny Jew to eat it. Right? Like he doesn't like stick a piece on his plate. Or say, wow, this is good. He just eats it to the Lord and lets Johnny Jew be. I think second, a second really important thing to think about here with limits is that we should only defer within the limits of genuine Christian freedom. So for example, I, mean, I have no problem with someone reading the King James Bible alone because that's what they grew up in, that's their preference, that's what they know, that's what they enjoy. But but the moment that someone moves from a preference to saying that the translators of the King James Bible were uniquely inspired by God like the original writers were, well, at that point, you're not just talking about preference. You are talking about how God inspired His Word. And at that point, it's not my job to just defer to that and encourage that. It's my job to resist that. 
So, so think, for example, of, of Paul's response to Peter at, at Antioch when, when Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. Right? So, you know, Peter, and this is fresh after the church has started. Peter's up in Antioch. He's sitting there at the table with a bunch of Gentiles eating dinner. And, and then he starts to get uncomfortable. And so he gets up and backs off. Does Paul say, well, bless God, you're following your conscience, Peter? He says, no. He, 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 resp- he, uh, he speaks up to him. He confronts him to the face in front of everyone and says, you need to sit down. Because what you're doing is, is violating the truth of the gospel and the unity we have in Christ. So it didn't matter what his conscience felt. He needed to sit down and eat. So, so there are limits here. But that said, Paul's main point is that you must love your brother more than you love your rights. You need to be far more concerned about your brother's conscience than about your freedom. It would be a horrible thing if something you did led a brother to stumble and sin against God. That's the challenge. All right? But, well, all that sounds good. Sitting here in church on Sunday, actually loving your brother like that is really hard. It's hard not to get impatient with each other. Now, sometimes it's easier just to move on to relationships that, that are more convenient and easy. Sometimes we make harsh assumptions about people that are rooted in fear and insecurity. Now, relationships are hard, especially when you don't see eye to eye. So, so why do you press through the difficulty? You know, as I said earlier, I mean, why not just have a Jew church and a Gentile church? That would have been the simplest solution. Just find our niches and go to our niches and, and everything's okay. Well, those are important questions. And Paul responds in verses 15 through 17 with some powerful words of encouragement rooted in four motivations. The first reason why you need to be willing to do this for your brother is because of Christian love. Paul says in verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. And just consider the contrast in value between a brother and food. It's not even close. But but I'm sure that there's been times where you have chosen a sausage pizza or whatever else it is that you enjoy over a brother or sister in Christ. You crushed your spouse because of your passion for a silly hobby. You lost a friend over a silly battle of egos. We love ourselves and we love our comfort. And that's not just in matters of Christian liberty, right? I mean, that matters, that applies across the board to all sorts of other things. And so often we get tunnel vision. We get locked in on the thing that we want and that we desire, and and we just ram right over the people who are getting hurt in the way. But God says that any time, again, not just with matters of Christian liberty, any time that you choose your comfort or your preferences over a brother in Christ, you are no longer walking in love. So I want you to think about whatever broken relationships you're facing right now, especially with a brother or sister in Christ. Now it might be that you have tried everything that you can and your heart is in the right place. But there is a high likelihood 
that you have valued food or something else that is trivial more than you did a brother or sister in Christ, a family member, or a friend. Now, that other person might have plenty of blame in the whole situation. But, but, but be honest about your priorities. And you are not walking in love. And if that is the case, you need to repent. Love has to drive us to live this way. And then a second motivation he gives is reverence for the gospel. He goes on in verse 15 to say, Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And that is another blunt and very convicting challenge. You know, sometimes we get really frustrated with each other, right? We get frustrated with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get so wrapped up in ourselves that, that we don't, or, or, you know, we get so wrapped in ourselves we don't even notice how we're hurting other people. But Jesus greatly values every member of this church. He died for them. He took their wrath in His body on the cross. He loves them dearly. And so whenever you get frustrated or just done with someone, try looking at that person through the eyes of Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't see that person fundamentally as a jerk or judgmental or prudish or whatever it might be. He sees that person as someone for whom he gave his life. And, and that should change everything about how you look at that person, how you behave towards them, how you respond to their differences. And, and then I just add here as well that, that remember that when you mess with God's people, you mess with God Himself. But Jesus warned in Matthew 18, verse 6. He said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to stumble. There's a key word, right? The same word that we have in our text. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus is not messing around, is he? That's a scary verse, isn't it? So how tragic would it be to value a sausage pizza, a movie, a style of dress, to the extent that, that you cause a brother or sister to stumble? I mean, Christ died for that person. And if you cause someone to stumble... And Jesus says that the wrath of God stands on you. This is a serious matter. So, so love your brother more than you do your rights. Revere the gospel. You're, you're not just, it's not just about that person. It's about Jesus who stands behind their salvation. And then the third motivation is passion for God's purposes. Now, verse 16 says, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. And this verse here warns about the damage that silly conflict can do to the testimony of the gospel. Specifically there among unbelievers. I think that's, that's the idea where it talks about be spoken of as evil. It's not spoken of as evil so much in the context of the church. It's outside in the community at large. You know, again, 
sausage pizza, or whatever other freedom you have in Christ. That's a good thing. It is good to enjoy the blessings of God. But how tragic would it be if your determination to enjoy a freedom would become a source of conflict that would do damage to the name of Christ in the community at large? And it happens. It happens far too often. You know, just just, uh, last spring, uh, the, the board at Bob Jones University, Christian University, Christian school, good school, the board... It's having a harsh conflict, and it really is over things like dress and music. And it was a harsh conflict, and, and, and stuff got out to the media. It was all over TV and newspapers. And so the gospel was damaged in a community because people could not handle their conflicts well. And folks, the testimony of Christ matters far more than most of the silly things that divide churches. And think about the fact that that God has put LifePoint in the middle of an incredible mission field. And every Sunday and every Wednesday, people pack into our tiny little building and and, and we get to tell them about Jesus. We have great opportunities all over the place to show Christ to our town. So how tragic would it be if one of our ministry teams here at LifePoint was crippled in their ability to minister to children and teens and adults because of strife over silly things like foods. I hope you are passionate about the Great Commission. I I hope that that as members of this church that, that we can see past all the little stuff that we get fired up over and see what matters. We're here to reach people for Christ. And I hope that passion outshines any stubborn fight and drives you to love well and serve well. And then the fourth motivation he gives is the priority of spiritual fruit. And verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now this verse, it contrasts two vastly different sets of priorities. You could put it this way. Is the primary intent of the gospel to give us the freedom to eat and drink or is the intent of the gospel to produce righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? And the answer is obvious. Righteousness, peace, and joy are far greater priorities and far more valuable than eating and drinking. Now, yes, Paul has said that the gospel has freed us to eat and drink. But that's not the, big, that's not the point. The point is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we can look out, and it's not hard to see. I mean, the world is not impressed that you eat and drink. They don't think, wow, look at those people eating their sausage pizza. Because they do that too. Now, sure, you should eat and drink to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that is true. But, but the world sees the power of God's grace far clearer. are people of integrity, honesty, justice, and holiness. And they see the power of God when we enjoy peace, despite the fact that we have differences. And Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's how they know we belong to Jesus. And when you have a joy that is immune to circumstances, 
That is another powerful demonstration of the grace of God. So the contrast here is obvious. And those latter three fruits are far more valuable than the former two. But far too often, eating and drinking, or music, or cultural tastes, and other things, those are the things that bind churches together. You know, we're the church of my pet issue over here. We're the church of this thing over here. And so churches are bound together by those things. And very often, they are then torn apart by the very same things. And I hope that you love LifePoint Baptist Church. I hope that you love this church. But I hope that your love for our church goes a whole lot deeper than that we sing the songs that you like. Or that, that you like how people dress. Or that there's people here that have the same hobbies that you do. I hope that you love this church because you love the Lord and because you love brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we have a common passion, a common commitment to become like the Savior. I mean, we're not here to, to talk about our hobbies. And we're not here to do the things that I like versus you like. We are here to grow in the Lord and make disciples. You know, so folks, so much of our discussion about Christian liberty it is all about what I can and can't do. I talked a couple weeks ago about you know, college, you know, when I was in Christian college, all the, the dorm debates about all these issues. And so much time when we talk about a passage like this, all we talk about is what I can do, what I can't do, how I can do what I want without offending you, and, and how you need to lighten up or you need to get more serious. But, but verses 15 through 17 demonstrate that what we really need to focus on is our hearts, right? But our biggest problem, our biggest problem is not that we have different viewpoints or that we disagree about this thing and that thing. Our biggest issue is that we are selfish and we are proud and we want to do what we want to do. But if we share a common love for the gospel, a love for each other, a love for God's mission, and a love for spiritual fruit, most of our conflict is just going to take care of itself. So, so love the things that God loves. And as your heart is changed, most of that other stuff will just go away. And as we do, notice the hope that he gives in verse 18. The hope of verse 18 is, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So Paul says that when you sacrifice your rights to support a brother, you serve the Lord. And not only that, God sees. God sees even if no one else does. And God is pleased. So Joe Gentile, he really likes sausage pizza with extra cheese. But he loves the smile of Jesus far more. And for as frustrating as Johnny Jew can be, the smile of Johnny Jew and the growth and the health of Johnny Jew matters far more to him than a sausage pizza. So yes, loving well is going to mean setting aside your rights. There will always be things about our church that you wish were different. There are things that I wish were different. That's the way it is. But, but won't but let's not settle for, for being caught up in those things. I hope 
The, the hope of this passage here is worth far more than any of the little things that you have to give up. I mean, the idea that, that Christ can be pleased with you and that you can, can serve a brother well is worth far more than all the little stuff that people so often get caught up in. So I would encourage you to take a moment and consider the conflicts in your life. And especially any conflicts that you have with a brother or sister in Christ. What is the source of conflicts among you? James 4.1 asks that very question. And how does James answer? The source of conflicts is your lust. The source of conflict is not that we have different convictions or different interests or different backgrounds. God says the source of our conflicts is our lusts. I, I recognize there's exceptions to that. But for the most part, that is true. So confess them to Christ. Do not let sin be your master because you are under grace, not law. And by the grace of God, love your brother more than your rights. Humble yourself and serve him. And as you do, Christ will be pleased. Your brother will be pleased. And God will accept you. Father, thank you for the admonition of this passage and God, I pray that, that you would change our focus. That, Lord, you would, by your grace, help us to have a clear vision of the gospel, of the value of souls, and of the mission that you have called us to do. And God, I pray that we would love each other well. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to do that. These things are hard and they're difficult. Give us discipline to keep our thoughts and our minds in the right place. And Father, I pray that, that we would be a church that really is united in love, that glorifies you in, in how we walk, how we serve, how we give. And so God, work to do these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.